Is Mac Jones done as the starting quarterback of the New England Patriots? Talk about that and so much more coming up next year on this episode of Locked On NFL. You are Locked On NFL. Your daily NFL podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day. Welcome to another edition of the Locked On NFL Podcast, your daily NFL podcast here. I'm your host, Kevin Ostreicher of the Locked On Ravens Podcast. I'm one of the many NFL experts here on our network. We're going to be available on all podcasts and platforms. That includes over in video form on YouTube. And today's episode of Locked On NFL is brought to you by FanDuel Sportsbook, official sportsbook of Locked On. Make every moment more right now. New customers can get $5 and get 200 bonus bets guaranteed. Visit FanDuel.com slash Locked On to get started. We're here again bringing you the biggest stories throughout the last week of NFL action, obviously from Sunday in week five, as there was plenty that happened in this week. It's, you know, right around the early to middle part of the season, getting into bye weeks. This is the first week of bye weeks for teams. We're going to be talking with our experts about what happened throughout the day on Sunday. First, we'll be talking with Mike DeBate of Locked On Patriots about Mac Jones and if he's done is the starting quarterback of the New England Patriots. Then we'll continue our AFC East talk, talk with John Butchko of Locked On Jets about the Jets picking up a key victory that potentially could have big implications on their season. Then finally, we'll talk with Chris Clark of Locked On Chiefs. As the Chiefs are 4-1, and one, but they're winning close games in a different way. So we'll talk with Chris about how that's happening in the final part of the show. So without any further ado, let's first get into our conversation with Mike DeBate of Locked On Patriots. Well, the New England Patriots are in a bit of a dilemma with their quarterback situation after their 34 to nothing loss to the New Orleans Saints in week five. And here to talk about what is next for the Patriots and Mac Jones is Mike DeBate, the host of Locked on Patriots. And Mike, I know it was an ugly game on Sunday. The no points for the Patriots on the board. Mac Jones goes 12 to 22 for 110 and two interceptions, gets benched for Bailey Zappi. I mean, there have already been questions about whether Mac Jones is the answer for the Patriots or whether they need to move on either immediately or after the season. What does this game do for the future of Mac Jones in New England, whether it be the immediate future or after the year is over? Well, I think in the immediate future, you just have to take one moment at a time. It sounds cliche, Kevin, but I think that's all the New England Patriots can do right now. Look, a lot of calls are going to be made over this week by Patriots fans, media alike, to bench Mac Jones, uh, simply just a putrid performance in back-to-back weeks. And you can't have that if you're attempting to contend or at least attempting to find some respectability. And the New England Patriots haven't been able to do either in the last two games that it's clearly showing on the field. But the question is, if you move on from Mac Jones, where do you go? Bailey Zappi has come in in consecutive weeks now. And unfortunately, even though it's in garbage time, the New England Patriots still haven't shown any penchant for being able to move the football. Zappi is holding the ball way too uh, much. He's overthrowing his receivers. Mac Jones obviously has had his struggles, and we'll get to those in a second. But the other two uh, you know, pieces in the cabinet right now, Will Greer, who I don't believe is up to speed yet to be able to lead this team on the field, and Malik Cunningham is someone right now that still has his growing pains as an undrafted rookie. So 
even though Jones has been dismal, and there's no question about it, he has been, he is not seeing the field well. He's making poor decisions. He's getting terrible protection from his offensive line, hardly any reaction time, finding himself under pressure for over 45% of the throws that he's there. Those are terrible totals and very bad situations to put your quarterback in. He's played poorly, but unfortunately, it looks like there's nothing left in the Patriots' well that would allow them to pull themselves out of it. You're probably looking at more of the same and just hoping that improvements happen. Yeah, this is a one and four football team, and they're going to need some quick turnarounds. I don't know whether that means that you bring in a veteran like Carson Wentz or Joe Flacco. It's kind of hard to get a quarterback up to speed, especially now we're it's not just like we're in week one. We're in the almost <laughs> the early to mid part of the season as right. week five is over. But do you feel like there is any future for Mac Jones in New England, or do you feel like this is just the inevitable where after the season they're going to try to move on and get somebody else in New England that hopefully is the guy for them? Well, after what I saw last week, I believe that there was still an opportunity for him to secure a job for next season. By coming back in a game the Patriots knew they had to have, um, in a situation where they were coming off a dismal, demoralizing loss to the Dallas Cowboys, this was a big prove-it game for Mac Jones. And he came out and essentially did not prove anything other than what we saw last week being probably more of the norm than the exception. So long term, unless things change and they change very quickly in New England, it's not looking good for Max future beyond 2023 in this in a Patriots uniform. Now, again, things can change. The Patriots offensive line may block a little bit better. Maybe the um, running game gets going a little bit and all of a sudden Mac doesn't look too bad. New England all of a sudden then will have a question on their hands and they'll have a decision to make. But if we continue to see more of what we saw today, including just a, a very lackluster and very heartless performance from the New England Patriots all the way around, uh, it's probably looking likely that this team's going to have to tear down and rebuild. Now, what about the pass catching weapons they've put around Mac Jones? We've talked we talked about it in the offseason a bunch, Mike. They added Juju Smith-Schuster, Mike Gesicki in there with Kendrick Bourne, Devontae Parker, et cetera. Have you seen anything from that group that at least encourages you a little bit? Very little. Um, the, actually, the most promising young pass catcher that the Patriots have on their roster in Demario Douglas, the rookie, the sixth round rookie that came out of Liberty, um, really has been their most explosive playmaker. And he exited the game on Sunday with a head injury. He's probably going to be in concussion protocol. I know that the uh, restrictions are a little more stringent than they have been in the past. It's probably unlikely that he's going to get a chance to suit up next Sunday against the uh, Las Vegas Raiders. So you take him out of the equation. Juju Smith-Schuster, same boat. He exited the game with a head injury, and he may be in concussion protocol as we speak, too. So the Patriots right now are lacking that yards-after-the-catch machine that Bill O'Brien loves to employ as a part of his offense. Kendrick Bourne is a jack-of-all-trades, but not enough of a piece without a complementary piece to be able to be effective. Devontae Parker is strictly a guy that can get you yards at the catch point, probably not much beyond that. They relied heavily on their tight ends, but the last couple of weeks, the Cowboys defense and the New Orleans Saints defense have done a very good job about neutralizing Hunter Henry. That's a big part of Max struggles as well. So this team is really devoid of pass catchers right now, and it's showing massively on the field. Now, speaking of defense, obviously this wasn't fully just on the offense as the defense right. puts up, you know, a game where they give up 34 points to this New Orleans team. What do you make of the New England defense right now and how they're performing? 
yeah, this was definitely the defense's worst performance of the season so far. And in a lot of ways, Kevin, you had to expect it. You can't expect to lose guys like Christian Gonzalez in the secondary and Matthew Judon in the front seven and not have a regression. I said last week, and I've been saying pretty much all week long about the loss of Judon being so big for this team because he's not only their best pass rusher, but he's also their best defensive facilitator. He opens up so much for the front seven to be able to pursue the passer and stop the run and the secondary to set and to do their work. And then you take Christian Gonzalez away. That's a big problem for the Patriots because he was shutting down some of the top offensive weapons that other teams were bringing in. J.C. Jackson, once he gets more acclimated into the modern Patriots system, and we're not talking much of a removal, but there have been a couple of years there where he's going to have to get reacclimated. Um, the Patriots are going to struggle in the secondary a little bit until he's up to speed, but you really saw the missing of Judon today in the Patriots uh, lineup. Keon White, uh, Anthony Jennings saw an increase in uh, snaps. I believe that will continue, but without Judon there, it's going to be very difficult for this team to pursue the passer the way they did. This defense is going to have to maybe make some adjustments, uh, maybe even change their scheme going from a 3-4 a solid front to maybe even a little bit of a 4-3 to compensate for the lack of what they have in the middle part of that defense. It's going to be, um, going to be some long weeks ahead in New England without question. And speaking of, you know, what's ahead next week, they have what you would assume to be a hopeful bounce back game against the team in the Las Vegas Raiders who are struggling in their own right. They're one and three right now. We'll see what happens on Monday night football. But if they can't get that game, Mike, they have a game against the Bills and then a game against the Dolphins in back to back weeks there. If they can't get the Raiders game, I mean, what's your outlook on their season? Do you just kind of punt it at that point or do you still do you try to continue to sneak into the playoffs somewhere? Well, in my opinion, I mean, at that point, you're looking at probably punting the season. If they can't beat the Raiders and get back on track, and then you're facing consecutive weeks against the Bills and the Dolphins, that's going to be an insurmountable hole, I believe, that New England simply does not have the talent to climb out of. That's why it's so important for them to be able to get this game, not even from a contention standpoint, just from a morale standpoint to let the New England Patriots know that they can still win games. They still have the ability to hang with teams in this league. Um, I don't believe that the terminology of tanking or a terminology of punting the season is in Bill Belichick's uh, dialogue. That's just not something he's going to do. He's not going to intentionally back off or let, you know, let off on the accelerator. He's going to try to continue going, even if he needs to tear down midseason and rebuild what he's trying to get done, not necessarily from a personnel standpoint, but from a schematic standpoint. Uh, New England will keep grinding, but uh, I think today was a very harsh reality for a lot of Patriots fans that been a long while since Tom Brady's walked through that door and uh, the New England Patriots have a lot more questions than answers that lay ahead. Mike gives the Patriots insight and we'll see what happens with Mac Jones over there but I appreciate Mike of course and more on Mike's work check him out over at the Locked On Patriots podcast part of the Locked On Podcast Network your team every day it is great work over there. Coming up in the second part of the show though we'll be diving into our conversation with John Butchko of Locked On Jets talking Zach Wilson, Brees Hall, Nathaniel Hackett and a lot more so stay tuned for that. We have a lot coming up here on Locked On NFL.
But first, this episode is brought to you by FanDuel Sportsbook. And snap in action, the NFL season with FanDuel, America's number one sportsbook. Right now, new customers get $200 in bonus bets guaranteed when you place a $5 bet. That's $200 in bonus bets, win or lose. And if you've been thinking about joining FanDuel, there's no better time to get in on the action. The app is super easy to use, and there's a wide range of betting options that include spreads, player props, over-unders, and more. So if you bet the over on Dak Prescott interceptions, you're probably living large right now. Brock Purdy balled out. Maybe you bet the over on touchdowns for him. You can visit FanDuel.com slash locked on right now and kick off the NFL season. FanDuel official partner of the NFL. We're back here. Our second segment, Locked On NFL. Kevin Allstriker still here with you talking week five, talking NFL football. We talk with Mike DeBate of Locked On Patriots in the first segment. Now let's continue that AFC's conversation with John Butchko of Locked On Jets. So we're going to be talking about that big Jets win over the Broncos in week five. It was one they had to have, and we'll talk with John about how they got it now. The New York Jets had to have this win against the Denver Broncos, and they ended up pulling it out in a close 31-21 to game. And I know the box score doesn't necessarily say it is close, but it came down to the wire a little bit. The Jets defense getting a much-needed touchdown to secure it at the end. And here to talk about that with me is John Butchko, the host of Locked On Jets. And, John, this is a game that had a little bit of a revenge factor to it. Obviously, the Sean Payton comments before the season, Nathaniel Hackett coming over after a failed sit in Denver to be the Jets' offensive coordinator. Again, the box score doesn't really tell how close the game was. What are your big takeaways from it? It was a game the Jets had to have. If they had lost this game, they'd be on a four-game losing streak. They have a game next weekend against the Philadelphia Eagles, so you're probably going one and five. But beyond that, if the Jets lose this game, I mean, Denver is one of the worst teams in the NFL. You start to wonder at one and four, where are the wins going to come from? I think it may have had a residual effect in the locker room. You know, a couple of weeks ago, we, we, you kind of had like the first sense that maybe things were starting to fall apart. You had guys getting overly emotional on the sideline and lost to New England. And last week's game against Kansas City kind of settled those things down, even though the Jets lost. They played pretty well. But, you know, in the NFL, you're always one week away from changing the narrative. So this was a game that kind of stopped the bleeding for the New York Jets. Look, it was not their best performance. In fact, I think they played better last weekend against Kansas City. It's one of those interesting things. I guess things kind of even out because – they had a disaster first quarter last week against the Chiefs, but for the most part, they played a winning game. Whereas this game, this week, it was not a great performance. It was very uneven the way the Jets played, but it they won it because I think part because the, the opponents they played last week, they played the defending Super Bowl champions. This week, they play a team that's not very good. So I feel like, you know, if you even things out, the last two weeks, the Jets probably played well enough to be one and one. And, you know, they got one and one in the last two weeks. Yeah, and I know, again, the, the big storyline had to be the Nathaniel Hackett reunion in Denver. How do you think he called the game? Because this offense, they, you know, didn't score 31 points. The defense had to help him out there a little bit. But did you like the way that he called the game or not so much? I thought the Jets coaching staff was Denver's 12th man in this game. I, I thought the Jets had a lot of great individual performances. The, the defense, after a really shaky first half, lights out in the second half. They only gave up one touchdown drive when they were up two scores. Uh, Brees Hall, unbelievable. And on this, in, on the field where he suffered a season-ending injury last year, what had to have been, been an emotional game, runs for 177 yards, breaks a 72-yard touchdown run. But after that, the Jets got really conservative. I think like the touchdown run was great for the Jets because they needed a spark offensively. But after that touchdown run, Nathaniel Hackett like got so conservative on offense. And it kind of worked because the Jets got a couple of field goals in the second half. But the problem was, you know, Brees Hall, as great as he is, and Brees Hall is a phenomenal back. Brees Hall is one of the best backs in the NFL for my money. 
he's not going to break more than one seventy yard touchdown running the game. So when you're constantly running first and second downs and just leaving up to leaving it up to third down, you're kind of taking the big play off the table and it leaves you a very difficult threshold in this league because it means you have to execute at a high level, like 12 straight plays. So, you know, there's one drive that was pushed back by a holding penalty. Essentially, if somebody messes up one play, if you miss a third down, if somebody, if some receiver slips on a third down, the drive's over. And the Jets had an opportunity at many points in the second half to put this game away with a touchdown. And they kept playing for a field goal. And the Jets, you know, you said that the game was close. This game should not have been close. The Jets should have put this game away by, by the early stages of the fourth quarter. And they let Denver hang around because they kept settling for field goals. And a lot of that goes to what the coaching staff was doing. Jets, I thought the Jets in the second half, the Jets players completely outplayed Denver. They should have won going away. I know the storyline is going to be Nathaniel Hackett gets revenge. I did not think he had a good game. I did not think Robert Sala had a good game. I thought a lot of Jets players had a great game. Brees Hall first among them. Uh, Tyler Conklin, a guy who I frequently am critical of on Locked On Jets, had a big game for the Jets at the tight end position. Uh, the defense outstanding. Quincy Williams, guy who's been very up and down the last two years, suddenly looks like one of the top five linebackers in the NFL, had two sacks on the final drive to help close the game out. So I think there's a lot of positives for the Jets in this game. I would not put the play calling among them. Yes, I guess the headline should be players get revenge for Nathaniel Hackett. Yes. <laughs> that, that's probably what they should name it. But there's been a lot of conversation about the quarterback position there in New York, John. If you hadn't heard, I'm sure you have. But it was the Aaron Rodgers show goes down in week one. And then they turn to Zach Wilson, who obviously his tenure in New York has been very up and down and more so down than up. But that Kansas City game, I think, gave a lot of people hope this week it wasn't as good or as flashy as the Kansas City game. But have you seen Zach Wilson grow since he took over for Aaron Rodgers? There's no question he's a better quarterback than he was last year. I mean, he hit some clutch passes in this game, especially one of the third down plays I mentioned to Tyler Conklin in the fourth quarter that really helped the Jets. You know, if not, you know, they didn't end up scoring on the drive because he threw kind of a fluky interception, in my view. Uh, but it helped the Jets at least run the clock down. The question for Zach Wilson is what happens going forward, because this was a performance where there was some good, but there was also a lot of bad. There were a lot of moments where he looked shaky. In fact, I think like Brees Hall's touchdown run kind of helped him settle in because I've seen a lot of Zach Wilson games where things aren't going well in the first half and he just kind of collapses in the second half. I do think that Brees Hall touchdown run kind of helped him settle down. I mean, they had a, just had a disaster sequence near the end of the first half where the, they were in field goal range, but the clock ran out before they could spike the ball. And I think that was on Zach Wilson because they had no timeouts and he did not throw the ball to the sidelines or to the end zone. Or, you know, in that situation, you have no timeouts and the clock's running down. The ball either has to go to the end zone, it has to go to the sidelines, or you throw it away. And he you know, threw it in the field to play to C.J. Uzama. So it was an up-and-down game for Zach Wilson. I think as much as anything, the question is, what happens from here? Because if this is like a game we look back on and say, that's one of Zach Wilson's bad games, that's pretty good. You know, that's this is like for – I think that's, that's kind of the context of you. It is, is this like going forward, is this going to be what we call a bad game for Zach Wilson? Well, okay, well, even in a bad game, he did some positive things and hit some clutch throws and did enough for the Jets to win. If this is going to be an average game for Zach Wilson – that's not as good because I don't think this game's good enough to beat most teams in the league. So I think as much as anything, we need to look at what Zach Wilson does going forward. And I think the context and where this is on Zach Wilson's uh, pendulum will really impact, you know, how things look for this team. Yeah. And a big couple more weeks for him. You mentioned the Philadelphia game coming up, then they go on the road to play the giants, although not 
really a road game, but they are the away team. But John, with everything that's gone on, you mentioned the defense plays lights out. They've had some bursts of really good football. Do you still think that this Jets team is a playoff team at this point? You know, it's tough to say. The thing is, you have to remember, being a playoff team doesn't mean you have to be that good. You only have to be the seventh best team in your conference to make the playoffs. And I mean, a lot of us thought the AFC was full of juggernauts this year. It hasn't really looked that way so far. I mean, a lot of the teams that we thought were going to be great, you know, they look okay, but they don't look anywhere near as good as we were expecting them. So I think the Jets will be right in the mix. I mean, the two and three, I know two and three is not great, but if you look at the schedule, they've probably had as tough of a schedule as any team in the NFL. And even when we had Aaron Rodgers with the Jets, the discussion about these first six games was just survive them. Don't start one and five. Don't start 0 and six. If you get through them, you know, three and three or even two and four, the schedule starts to open up the second half for the Jets. So I think they have the potential to make a run. I mean, I think it's there's a lot that's unpredictable with this team right now. There's not been a lot of consistency, and that's good and bad because there have been some moments where they've looked great, and there have been some moments where they look terrible. I guess that that kind of sounds like a seven seed to me, Kevin. So we'll we'll see what happens. But I think they'll this is a team that's gonna be right in the mix. We'll see if Aaron Rodgers comes back or not. I'm not so sure, but we've seen crazy things happen. So maybe Aaron Rodgers will give us that next crazy thing. But John does great work over on Locked On Jets. For more on his work, check him out over at Locked On Jets, part of Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. I'll be rounding out the show in the final segment with Chris Clark talking Kansas City Chiefs. They're 4-1. and one. They're winning games, but how are they doing it? We'll talk about that coming up soon. But first, this episode is brought to you by LinkedIn. And these days, every new potential hire can feel like a high-stakes wager for your small business. You want to be 100% certain that you have access to the best qualified candidates available. That's why you have to check out LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn Jobs wants to find the right people for your team faster and for free. And I've had plenty of good experiences over on LinkedIn Jobs, whether it's finding jobs for myself, finding jobs for other people. LinkedIn Jobs has been super helpful. And it's really easy to create a free job post over on LinkedIn Jobs. All you have to do is add your job in the pro hashtag hiring frame to your LinkedIn profile to spread the word that you're hiring. They have simple tools you can use. They screen any questions, make it easier to focus on candidates results, the right skills and experience. So you can prioritize who would like to interview and who would like to hire. And it's really important to start and end your strong and the right team member might help you do that. It's why small businesses are at LinkedIn Jobs number one, delivering quality hires for leading competitors. LinkedIn Jobs helps you find the qualified candidates you want to talk to faster, but your job for free. LinkedIn.com slash lockdown NFL. That's LinkedIn.com slash lockdown NFL to push job for free terms and conditions apply. We're back here. It's our final segment of Locked On NFL. Kevin Allshager still here with you on this Victory Monday for some teams and a not-so-Victory Monday for others. Be sure to subscribe to us on YouTube. Follow along in audio form. It is free both ways there. And also, be sure to check out Locked On NFL Kickoff Live. Each Friday, Locked On will go live at 2 p.m. Eastern on every single Locked On NFL YouTube channel. And they have everything over there from team matchups, fantasy lineups, betting angles, and so much more. So, again, find Locked On NFL Kickoff Live every Friday at 2 p.m. Eastern Time on any Locked On NFL YouTube channel. But here we're going to be talking in this final part of the show with Chris Clark of Locked On Chiefs about how the Chiefs were able to pull out a very close win in Week 5. So let's talk about it now. The Kansas City Chiefs, they win close again, beating the Minnesota Vikings 27-20 to in Week 5. Here to talk about that win and how the Chiefs are winning these one-possession battles is Chris Clark, one of the hosts of Locked On Chiefs. And Chris, this Chiefs team is 4-1. and They've rattled off four straight wins after that loss of the Lions in Week 1, but they've been doing it 
in a way that, you know, maybe the Chiefs fans aren't as used to, which is not the blowout wins, but the one possession games. The Bears game is an anomaly in that, right? That That's the outlier. Yeah. But you have the one score win against the Jaguars in week two, the Jets in week four, and then obviously here the Vikings in week five. But in this game in particular, how did the Chiefs pull it out? You know, it was really just gutting it out in the third quarter. Uh, I mean, they took over the game in the third quarter. They, I think the Vikings, before they got the ball right at the end of the third quarter, I think had three plays, uh, three yards. Uh, it, you're not going to win if you have that little of a possession in an entire quarter. And Kansas City had two touchdown drives uh, that just took over the game. They got a field goal right before the end of the half. And then they came back, scored a touchdown on their next drive, got Minnesota to turn it over. Uh, on downs, uh, punt the ball away, and then go and score another touchdown on another long drive. And and that is going to wear a defense out. I think that's what you saw is the Vikings got worn out on those two drives. Uh, and it helped Kansas City win at the end. And pass catching wise, I know it was a, a bit of a rough yep. week one for the wide receivers. Travis Kelsey is, I think, the best target you got there in Kansas City by a wide margin. He goes down with the injury. But you have other guys stepping up in bunches a little bit. Rasheed Rice has had his moments Kadarius Tony, after that horrid couple of weeks, came back, had five catches on six targets here. Justin Watson with a long 33-yard gain. Have you seen the wide receiver corps grow over these last four weeks after that week one game? I think it's going to be a work in progress all season long, and I think that you're going to continue to see this young group continue to have games where they look good and games where they struggle. And Rasheed Rice has been a guy that continuously – is getting the number is usually the number two person in the offense in targets. And this week he missed it by one. Tony got one more target than he did. But to have a rookie wide receiver get that many targets, get that many throws, have that kind of trust from Mahomes, that's a big thing in an Andy Reid offense because Andy Reid doesn't play rookie receivers very often. Uh, you look at other players, you know, Justin Ross had a big catch on a second and 17, had, got it for 20 yards, uh, but then he came back and had two easy drops later on. Uh, those are the types of plays where – yeah, he does great. He can get open. He runs great routes at times. But if you drop the ball when the ball's thrown to you, it doesn't matter the type of route you ran. The coach is going to be pissed because you dropped the ball. Uh, and don't get me wrong, there's contested plays and all that. But Ross had two straight drops. So that's going to be a problem for him to get consistent playtime. Uh, you know, Tony's looked better. Uh, I was impressed that he, you know, he got hit. He got bent back kind of hard. Came back in the game, was still playing for Kansas City. Uh, you know, Justin Watson doesn't get enough credit on this offense. Uh, he had two huge plays for Kansas City and bailed out Mahomes uh, at the end of the first half on a long ball down the sideline. And then that catch over the corner uh, in the in the third quarter was fantastic. And to me, I think the thing that you mentioned, which is interesting, is that they've been doing it with their defense. They're not the huge 30-point games, but Kansas City's getting it done a little bit. Chris Jones comes back after the offseason contract dispute. And I think the Kansas City defense has shown a couple of things here. You mentioned they kind of had to buckle down in that third quarter, allowed no points there. Who have you? What have you seen from people on this defense that has you excited about them this year? Jones has been playing great. I mean, he continues to get sacks. He's got a sack in every single game he's played in so far. Uh, Karloftis has been producing a lot of pressure. He's not getting home right now. I think that's going to change over the next couple of weeks. Uh, you have to remember the Chiefs have one starting defensive end that they don't have right now. And Charles Minnehue, he comes back after this Broncos game. And with as close as Kansas City has been getting on some of these pressures, I'm expecting that a Minnehue is going to get home or push other players to get home because he's pushing the pocket and making the QB move enough. Uh, I think that's got to be exciting. 
But the other thing that nobody seems to be really talking about, unless you're in Kansas City, is the play of Trent McDuffie. Uh, I saw somebody talk about the top 10 corners in the NFL, and McDuffie wasn't even listed on it. And PFF, going into last week, had Trent McDuffie as the number one rated corner in the NFL. I, I can't see why he wouldn't even be listed in the top 10, let alone, or let the top five, let alone the top 10. And I think for this Kansas City team, obviously they have the high expectations coming off of a Super Bowl. This AFC right now has gone through a lot of injuries. The Bills are getting hit hard with some injuries. The whole NFL, honestly, is. Obviously, Kelsey goes down, but how is the Chiefs' injury situation through five weeks? I think you got to feel pretty good. Uh, Kelsey's going to be a big question. They have a quick turnaround. They play the Broncos on Thursday. The nice thing is, is they play at home, so that's a little bit helpful. Uh, question whether or not Kelsey's going to be able to go. He came back and he played, but that's partially maybe a player just using going off of adrenaline, but is it going to be something that he can keep it you know, where it doesn't get stiff and tighten up and, and not be able to push off and, and really do what he needs to be able to do on the field. Uh, that's going to be a big question for Thursday. You hope he can go, but if he can't, obviously next man up, Noah Gray's been playing well. Uh, you know, they had a couple more injuries today, but Nick Bolton didn't play today. Uh, he's been out for three games. He's one of their superstars on defense, and and he doesn't get enough credit along in the NFL. And I think that he's probably going to be back for the Thursday night game, which is good because – his backup, Drew Tranquil, who's been playing good for Kansas City, is probably possibly going to miss the game with a knee injury that he sustained during this game. Uh, question whether or not he's going to be available. Uh, he's already been dealing with a wrist injury, but he's been playing fantastic for that Chiefs defense. Huge shout-out to Chris for giving the Chiefs insight. And for more on Chris's insight, check him out over at the Locked On Chiefs podcast, part of Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. That's all I have for you here on Locked On NFL. Thank you so much for tuning in. Coming up tomorrow, more NFL content with your Tuesday host. So be sure to stay tuned for that. We'll see you right back here tomorrow on Locked On NFL.